Welcome to Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Each week, Brian will present a Christ-centered teaching to increase your passion for the Godhead. It is our hope that this podcast will be a burning lamp that leads you on a path to encounter God's unquenchable love for you. And now our host, Brian Francis Hume. I read something yesterday that uh, a personal story that I thought would be a appropriate for me as I open up this time together because as you know first impressions are very important I'm just gonna read this little post that I had posted years ago that go back to 2009 I said sometimes we try too hard to impress others when we first meet we attempt to say and do all the right things and imperfect first impressions are frowned upon as some may tout you only get to make a first impression once. When we first moved to Haymarket, Virginia in 2009, our little Simone was two months shy of turning two. One evening, we stepped outside as our next door neighbors were also outdoor. We were able to meet them for the first time. After a brief conversation, the couple asked us, to share our names once more. And so I repeated my name as did my wife, Annetta. And what followed was unexpected. Simone, again, keep in mind my Simone at that time was under two years old. And Simone happily pointed to Annetta and said, mommy. And then she pointed her cute little finger at me and she said, daddy. Of course, my heart beamed as I smiled at her. However, we were not prepared for what would happen next. Thrusting her hands onto her chest, she uttered, Simone, but she was not done. Lastly, she pointed to her butt and she unabashedly announced, poo poo. The first impression was perfectly imperfect. I guess you could say that Simone certainly made an impressionable first impression to our next door neighbors. And so I thought that was uh, an appropriate story to open up our time together today because many of you uh, I have not personally met, though I've been able to mingle in this group and and meet fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's been a rich time of fellowship. But yet, as I mentioned earlier, I had met uh, Steve and Rayma and Chad and Shauna there at Josh McDonald grabbed me and brought me over to the back of this large auditorium said, Brian, I want you to pray and prophesy over these precious ones. And so we had a wonderful time together in that first moment. And since that time, I continued to stay in touch, specifically with Chad and Shauna. And so one day back, uh, just a few months back on June 8th, I was with my wife and we were going down this narrow road. Suddenly, out of the blue, I thought of Shauna, and when I thought of her, I had this, this pain of regret hit me in that moment. And you might be wondering, did you have this pain of regret when you thought of Shauna? Now, Shauna, keep in mind, she was the one that ministered last night, and she did an amazing, powerful job. She is such a uh, beautiful display of the prophetic voice of the Lord. And so in that moment, I realized that I had not followed through on my word to her. Because she had sent me some prophetic dreams she had from the Lord. 
And she asked me, Brian, would you look over these dreams and let me know if God speaks to your heart about the interpretation? And so I told, wrote her back and said, yes, I will definitely do it. But I did not follow through on my word. And so in that moment, as we're driving down this, this very narrow, windy road, one of those roads where you know it, the trees on the side are just hugging and it's just leaning over and it's just a tight place as you're driving along, not much uh, shoulder space on the edge and, and the cars are whizzing by in the other direction. And so as we're going down this windy road, I remember I looked at the clock, it was 8.30, and I, I just remember just in my heart feeling, oh, Lord, I did not follow through on my word. And in that moment, I also thought of another uh, pastor friend of mine who had written a manuscript, and he had asked me, Brian, can you read over the first several chapters and just let me know what you think? And I told him, yes, I would, but I did not follow through on my word. And so... So fast forward, we, we arrive home about 30 minutes later. And to my surprise, I had a Facebook message from Shauna. And when I looked at the message, she had sent it to me at 8.33. And it was just within minutes when the Holy Spirit brought her to mind. And, and so I knew God was doing something, was speaking something in that moment. And so as, uh, and, and when I first had thought of Shauna and then Pastor John, my friend, I remember in that moment, I said, Lord, please forgive me, but I'm going to do what I can do to make that right. I'm going to follow through on my word. And so when I had that message from Sean, I knew God was in it. You talk about Holy Spirit conviction. Oh, man, I was feeling it. But, but when the conviction comes, there's life in it because the Holy Spirit convicts us to empower us to turn away from whatever sin we may have, whatever error we may have in our ways. And so that's, that's the call to the narrow way. And so we're going to talk here briefly. I'm going to try to squeeze this in to, uh, and I'm, I'm actually going to try to do this by, by memory. I, I have trouble seeing. And, and so I'm not going to really be able to rely on my notes with just with the sunlight and everything. But I'm just going to trust the Lord as I, as I lay out for us this afternoon, this message on covenant. And so I want to begin in Genesis chapter 15, because as I, as the picture that we saw in that moment, as I'm driving down this road, it was a narrow way. And as you know, Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew that, that uh, narrow is the way that leads to life. And I believe that in the life of covenant that we establish with the Lord and in covenant with one another is a narrow way. And it's a life-giving way when we walk that narrow way. And so, so in Genesis 15, we, in, we, we see here Abram. And we were first introduced to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls him and basically calls him and gives him a that his offspring would possess this land and would, would number the stars. His, his, his offspring would be countless. If he could number the star to be like the numbers of his offspring. And so Abraham, Abram took that to heart. But yet, we see several chapters later, Abram is wondering, can God fulfill his promise to me? Did God really mean that my offspring would be like the numbers of the stars in the sky? And so in that moment, we see in Genesis 15, we see God instruct Abram to sacrifice, to cut in half three animals and to lay them out before him. And he was to cut these animals and into two pieces 
and then three different ones he laid out. And then he also had two other additional animals that he was not to slaughter. And so in that moment, now we see a picture of what was common in the ancient times regarding covenant. And oftentimes what would happen was this, this covenant between two parties was bilateral, meaning these two parties were fully engaged in that covenant. And so they would, they would uh, sacrifice these animals and they would have the two sides on each side. And so right in the middle was this little narrow pathway between the sacrifices. And so these parties, these two individuals, would then make a covenant together and then they would seal that covenant through with by walking through between, between the halves, between the dead animals. And that process of walking down that narrow way was a sealing of the covenant. And ultimately, that was a, a picture of them saying to one another, if, if one of us breaks the covenant, we're going to be like the dead one there laying on the ground. And so there was much at stake. And it was a very, very serious matter that was not to be taken lightly. And so imagine what must be going on in Abram's mind as he's, uh, as he's, 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 he's preparing this moment of covenant with, with Yahweh. Imagine what's circling, what's going through his mind as he's reflecting back on his own life experiences and his own understanding of what covenant entails. And so, but as, as often that is common in our experience with God, his, his understanding was limited to his own experience. But God had something more. So in that moment, Abram falls into a, a deep sleep. And the scripture talks about they, uh, the, the darkness was... Uh, what was upon him in that moment as he fell in this deep sleep. But yet in that moment, God did something that was unprecedented. God showed up as a burning lamp. And that burning lamp alone went between the sacrifices. And that is a remarkable moment in the life of Abram as he was sound asleep. And so in that moment, what essentially happens is God is telling Abram, I will fulfill my word to you. I will fulfill my promise to you. I will fulfill my word and my promise to you because I am sealing this covenant with you. And so Abram did not awake until after the covenant was sealed. And so we, we see a picture here where God supernaturally seals the covenant with Abram. And so it was no longer Abram's responsibility to do his part, yet he would tr alone trust Yahweh for the fulfillment of that promise. And that is an invitation for us all to understand that our vertical covenant relationship with God is sealed by him and him alone. That we can't bring our own baggage, if you will, to the table. 
But yet the Lord and his goodness and his kindness and his mercy towards us seals the deal. And so we see that picture beautifully laid out there in Genesis 15. But yet there's a place for what I refer to as horizontal covenant in terms of covenant established between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a covenant established between friends, a covenant established within a community of sons and daughters of the Lord. And so I believe that the basis for all covenant is for us to be grounded in the understanding that through the shed blood of Christ, we have covenant with God, that he has uh, cut covenant with us through the precious blood of Christ. So we have confidence that it is his power that works within us to walk out the promises that he has spoken over our lives. Praise God. Now, two, uh, May 12, 2001, I was in the prayer room at Trinity Church in Dallas, Texas. And I was kneeling on the far side of the wall, I was kneeling in front of the wall, and I was just crying out to God. And there were two prayers that I was praying in that moment. The first prayer was, Lord, may your presence saturate this moment. I was just crying out to God. Because in that moment, I was kneeling for the last time as a single man. And I was just crying out to God, God, your presence, may your presence be here during our wedding ceremony. And then there was a second prayer that I was praying in that moment. And the second prayer was something like this. Father, grant me the revelation understanding of this covenant that I'm entering into with this Polish beauty. Because I knew as a young man that my understanding of covenant was lacking. And I was just crying out to God, God, I need to know, I need to understand your perspective on covenant. And so God graciously, immediately answered the first prayer, our wedding ceremony. Ah, precious, precious, precious. God's presence was there. The second prayer took much longer to answer because sometimes the answer to prayer requires a journey with the Lord. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and so in this process of understanding covenant, I've had to walk the journey with my beloved bride of 20 years. And there's something I've learned in this process that I want to share with you guys because I believe it applies to our covenant with God, with our spouse, with those whom God has called us to covenant together with. And this, and this phrase that God get, has given me over the years in terms of understanding covenant in the context of marriage is this little phrase, fight for covenant. In my journey as a married man, my wife and I, 
had a few moments where it got a little tense. It got a little uh, haywire, if you will. It got a little uh, hard, <laughs> I could say. And much of it was because of the baggage that I brought into the, mari- into the marriage. And so here we are. December 13, 2003, roughly less than 300 days, I'm sorry, roughly uh, 500 days after the wedding day. My wife tells me, Brian, I am leaving you. December 13, 2003, just two and a half years later, after our wedding day. She's telling me she's leaving me because she caught me looking at pornography on the internet. And it wasn't the first time. You see, I brought into the marriage baggage that I had not dealt with in my life. I brought into the marriage roots of selfishness and anger and lust that I had never dealt with. And I tried to keep it hidden. But yet, God used the context of covenant with my wife to cause those things to begin to rise to the surface. And in God's mercy, he would deal with my heart. But yet, my poor wife, she didn't sign up for that. And in that moment, she's told me she was leaving me. I, I walked downstairs. We were visiting my parents that weekend. I remember I walked downstairs, and my dad looked at me. And my dad's not a believer. And, he's, and he knew something was wrong. He said, son, what's wrong? And I looked at him, and I said, she's leaving me. And I began to wail. I began to wail. Have you ever wailed from a deep place? And in that moment, my dad came over. And you got to keep in mind, up to that point, my dad had only told me once before that he loved me. And we never really hugged or anything like that. I think it was one time he hugged me. <laughs> and so, so as I just begin to wail in the kitchen, he comes over and he puts his arm around me. And he just hold me. He, he, and it was kind of this awkward <laughs> moment because my dad and I, you know, it's just, it just awkward with him, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and my mom was there. She came into the kitchen, and she's hearing all this commotion in the, in, the ki- in, the, in the kitchen. And so she comes in, and she comes right over. My mom born again a letter to the Lord years before. And she comes right over and just begins to pray. And, and, uh, and I'm just there just wailing, wailing, and wailing. And all my dad could say in there is, son, why? Oh, my goodness. Praise God. You saved me, brother. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I was getting on the edge here, and I didn't realize I was on the edge. And one more step, whoo, that would have been like the highlight of the weekend. <laughs> thank you, my friend. i got to be a little more, uh, I'm sorry. It just, uh, you know, it's like looking through a little straw, so I've just got to get my bearings here as to where, okay, I see that now. Perfect, perfect. Uh, bless that man, whoever it was. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but my my dad in that moment 
said, son, you're tormented. And that's exactly what it was. Because I did not believe, even as a as one who was born again, I did not believe I could get free from the bondage of lust and pornography. And so when my, my wife, minutes later, comes down the steps and she sees my dad embracing me, and somehow in that moment, she has a turn of heart. And she said, I'll give this guy one more chance. So the next day, we're in the in our pastor's office, uh, Ernest Custlo, Aaron's his son here. He was uh, ministering with Gen Z the other night. Aaron's just an amazing, dear man of God. But his father was so instrumental in helping my wife and I. And so, so basically, we're meeting with Ernest. He said, Brian, no more ministry until you get your life in order with God. So for the next two and a half years, no ministry. I put it on the back shelf. I simply served and I focused on loving my wife as God has called me to love her. And so through that process, I began to fight for covenant. Because what happens in the context of covenant between a married man and a woman is there can be a lot of stuff that happens in that context, even in good, strong marriages. Sometimes we get a little frazzled in those moments. And we can easily get our eyes on one another and get frustrated, get a little uh, ticked off, get a little irked, get a little, uh, get your feathers ruffled a little bit. But in those moments, we have to learn to look up and to learn to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And in that context, we learn to fight for covenant. That in this moment, I'm feeling a little vulnerable. I'm feeling a little scared. I'm feeling a little insecure. But I'm not going to allow myself to stay here. And I'm not going to allow myself to relate to my, my covenant partner in this context. But rather, in faith, I'm going to look up to whom I've established covenant with vertically so I can draw upon the power of God in that moment so that I can then walk through with my covenant with my wife or my spouse in a manner that's Christ-like. For some, like me, it takes years and years and years to walk that out. But God... And God enables us in his kindness and mercy to fight for covenant so that we can honor him with the very word that we have spoken. Because on May 12, 2001, I spoke my vows and I told my wife that I would be faithful to her unto the end. And by faithfulness, we're talking about the heart as well. We're talking about the mind in terms of purity of mind and emotions. And so I told her I'd be faithful. So I had to walk that out as I fought for covenant to honor my wife. I believe today 
whether it's a marriage, whether it's a, a friendship that God has ordained. I believe God wants us to respond to him with the understanding that through our vertical covenant with him, through Christ, he empowers us to be true to our words and those horizontal covenants that he has ordained for us to walk out. And it's so imperative that you and I, whether in the context of covenant or even just in relationship with people, that we are those men and women of God who are true to our word. Now you look into scriptures and we see a story where David had, thank you, thank you. We see in the scripture where David had cut covenant with Jonathan. And years after Jonathan's death, David asked a question. And I believe it was in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe, verses 1 through 13. But in verse 1, David asked a question. And he said, who is left of the house of Saul that I may honor my covenant with Jonathan? Whom may I show kindness to? And there was something in, Jonathan, in David's heart that he understood covenant, that he needed to honor his word. He needed to follow through on his word. And so he took initiative and was able to locate a grandson of King Saul who was the son of Jonathan. And to be quite frank with you, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I'll butcher it. But it started with an M. It's a really long name with the letter M. And so, so Jonathan was able to find him, and he invites him to his table. And he shows kindness, kindness to this man who was lame, who was unable to reciprocate anything towards David. But that didn't matter. Because to David, the most important thing was that he followed through on his word with Jonathan. In 2012, I met a young lady, uh, two, two young ladies at the School of the Circuit Riders in LA. And at that time, I was uh, 37. I was the oldest guy there with the YWAM base. And, uh, and there was a two-week School of the Circuit Riders. And there were de uh, I met a lot of young people who were just hungry for God. But after that two-week period, there were two young ladies I kept in touch with. And one of them, uh, Christine, ends up getting married about two years later. And through that relationship, I began to mentor and disciple this young couple. And we finally meet April 10, 2016, the day after Zeusa now in L.A., so we're meeting at the hotel lobby, and I, we finally get to meet for the first time in terms of, as I get to meet them for the first time as a couple. And it was just a, a, a God-ordained moment. And so since that time, I've walked with this precious couple, Jason and Christine King, precious couple. 
and they invited me into their life as a, as a mentor, as one who would speak into their life. And so about a year into it, there were some, uh, there were some cracks that were showing in the foundation. There were some things that were kind of rising the surface in terms of Jason's life that, uh, that, that he had not fully revealed to, to me. And what began to happen was as he was working on his MBA through Duke University, he was having to travel to different places to meet with his cohort as a part of his education. And on those trips, he would find himself getting drunk with the other students. And he would wake up the next morning after a night of drinking, not being able to remember anything that had transpired the night before. And shame and guilt would just overwhelm him in that moment. And of course, his wife was deeply concerned. And so after a few months of this, they, they came to me and he came clean. I said, Brian, I need help. And so I began to walk with him through this process and also walking with him as a couple through that process. And the one thing I had to remind them to do was to fight for covenant. Because in those moments, when your emotions are frazzled and you're looking at your spouse and they're doing the exact thing they said they would not do, how are you going to respond in that moment? And then Jason, in that moment, was doing the very thing he didn't want to do. But yet he was finding himself ensnared, making the wrong choices. And it would have been easy to allow the moment to dictate how they would respond to one another. But instead, as I would remind them, fight for covenant. Be true to the word that you spoke. And allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk out your covenant with God. They begin to cry out to God together. So through that process, he acknowledged before God that he had a problem. And he repented and surrendered his choice to drink alcohol. He gave it up completely. And it took, I'd say about just right under a year in terms of walking that out to get to a point of sobriety. And today, four years later, their marriage is strong as ever in the grace of God. They now have a beautiful daughter, a little precious daughter that they are just so grateful for. But it, made, it required a choice on both of their parts to fight for covenant. I want to ask right now, um, Steve, uh, I think you were going to come up here and play a specific song for me. Steve, if you're here or whoever is responsible for that. Okay. And so as we bring my session to an end here. I just want to uh, go back to that day 
May 12, 2001. When I made, when I cut covenant with my wife and I spoke those words to her that I would be faithful to her to the end. Prior to our wedding day, the Lord put a specific song in our hearts that we would, that we would have sung at our wedding day, specifically as my wife came down the aisle. And that aisle is a picture of a narrow way that leads to life when you're coming down the aisle. And as she came down the aisle, the song that we had picked was a song that came from the Passion Movement. And it's called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And I just want to read this, the chorus from that song. As my beautiful bride came into that sanctuary, she walked down the aisle as these words were sung. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. And I surrender to your ways. Right now, I believe we're in a moment. Some of you need the covenant with the Lord afresh. I believe God is inviting you to covenant with him through the shed blood of Christ. There's some of you out there, you need to renew your vows with your spouse and to determine in the grace of God that you're going to be true to your word unto the end. Some of you you have broken, God-ordained friendships that need to be restored. You need to, right now, reestablish covenant. If we sing this song, I believe God wants you to step out. I want you to come to the tarp right there. I want you to walk down this narrow way that leads to life. As you commit yourself unto the Lord to covenant with him and to restore covenant however necessary with others but this is the moment right now to respond to the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of daddy and i just want to invite you and whatever you have to do today if there are any words that you have not followed through with whatever it takes today get it right with god get it right with whomever you have not followed through regarding your words. So right now, come. Just come. Come. Respond to the Lord. The narrow way of covenant that leads to life. So Father, right now, we thank you for the power of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we come as you cut covenant with us through this precious blood of Christ. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, bring revelation to the heart right now. And Lord, I pray right now, even for the wedding vows. God, I'm praying for the marriage covenant, God, to be restored even today. As couples walk the narrow way. Thank you, Father. This has been Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. 
Join us each week as we pursue God's heart for passion, purity, and prayer.